Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Well, I'm here. It is the night before Memorial Day. And uh, it was an awesome Sunday. Weather's been great. It's a little on the hot side, but he found a good shade tree, which I'm fortunate to have many in my yard. It is just prime, and especially in the evenings. Had a uh, nice campfire on Friday night with my uh, cousin and her husband. Their kids came over, and uh, it was just, like, so perfect out. And we are just having such a good time that next thing we knew it was midnight. And uh, all the kids are like falling asleep on lawn chairs and everything else and had to haul them in. And, uh, you know, it's just that it's like kind of that prime part of the summer, in my opinion. Once you get into June, it's still pretty good, but it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I am not about that. I like the 40s and the 50s. You know, even the 30s are great. Uh, and the 90s, not so much. They send me into hibernation. But. You gotta you gotta roll with it. I do work outside, so I I, I gotta get used to it. And uh, you know, the guy that we're talking to tonight doesn't have that problem right now. We'll get into that in a second here. But uh, our guest tonight, Mr. Eric Locker, who apparently I have an infinite number of connections to, <laughs> and we're just now, I guess, meeting for the first time. Eric Locker is in Alaska, where it's three hours behind my time right now, and uh, he's uh. He's on the call from his vehicle, so I'm guessing that he probably had to like drive to a spot where he had good good service or something like that. Uh, but but uh, definitely coming in from Alaska tonight. Really appreciate that. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where you like sometimes marvel at what you're capable of of doing when you know with modern technology, being able to have this conversation from so far away. But we'll take it. And I think. You might be the first, trying to think here, uh, this will probably be episode 139 or 140, no, 140, and uh, I think you're the first Alaskan that we've had on the podcast. So, uh, Eric, welcome, and uh, thanks for coming in from Alaska, man. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's hit the ground running here. We'll come back and fill in the background details here, but just because we want to get this conversation flying here, I have a kind of an icebreaker question for you. Okay. Alaska is the front is the last frontier, right? There's okay. a lot of crazy stuff that goes down in Alaska. What is the craziest thing? It can be hunting or fishing related, or it could be totally under, you know, like it could be Sasquatch, it could be a Yeti. What is the craziest thing you have seen in Alaska? Well, the craziest thing that I've seen is pretty fresh. It's just a little over a week ago. Um, I was on a bear hunt with some buddies. We hiked in 10 miles off the trailhead to get in. And uh, I planned on shooting a brown bear, which some people call them grizzlies. Uh, <laughs> up here in Alaska, the coastal, coastal okay. grizzly bear is a brown bear. <laughs> um, we got to get into that more later we got it we got to yeah, yeah. we got to weigh that okay, out so, suss that out so i shot a black bear before and we knew we were going to see both species but my goal was to shoot a brown bear and so 
Well, we got there the first night, spent the night there, uh, woke up in the morning, started glassing. We spotted a black bear, so another one of my buddies uh, went after that. And uh, there's quite a bit of snow still up in the mountains, and so we tried to go up higher, but it was just too much snow. Mm. Um, so we came back down, and I was glassing in the afternoon across the, to the next mountainside, and I saw uh, what looked right. Um, color of uh, a like a blonde phase uh, brown bear mm -hmm. and so i watched it for a little bit and it was 1450 yards away so i wasn't like too crazy about getting on it right away sure and i had to go all the way down and all the way back up to get on it and so i kind of was sleepy from getting in late the night before so i kind of dozed off for a couple minutes and my buddy's dad came up to me he's like hey did you see that spot over there it looks just like a brown bear and I'm like yeah kind of waiting for it to move and it didn't move um so i was like you know it's almost has to be like where it's at the color i'm just gonna start walking and hopefully it starts moving and i got like 50 yards uh, down the trail and sure enough it stood up turned broadside and i'm like oh yeah brown bear for sure and i laid back down so i hurried up <clears throat> and I was like charting my path through the alders because I knew that when I got down low, I wouldn't be able to see where it was anymore until I got a little closer. I just didn't know how close that would be. Yeah. So as I was getting up through the alders, I was making tons of noise and I was like, there's no way that, that I'm going to get up on this bear. And the, the wind was perfect though. And I just kept going kept following my path got to where i thought i should be able to see the tips of the trees because he was kind of in this um little grove of aspens mm -hmm. and i could see the tips of those aspen trees so i kind of came up over the edge and it was like a 60 degree slope so it was challenging to see and i couldn't see him in the aspens so i decided well i'll just keep moving forward and I glassed back to where I had been and my three buddies were all sitting there glassing me. And I was like, man, it must still be there. But you would think like, I felt like I was pretty close to the bear. I would think they'd be like waving their arms or something at me. if <laughs> that bear was still there. Maybe I like spooked it and it's just wandering off and they're watching. Sure. The so I keep moving forward and I'm like, it would be, so then I started going through my mind, like, what if I'm wrong? What if, what if I did spook him and he's moved off? What if this is the wrong patch of alders? I just start, you know, thinking of all the potentials that happened. And I was like, well, I better be ready just in case it is right there. Because if it is right there, it's going to be right in my lap. And it was so steep. I was using a trekking pole made okay. out of aluminum that kind of like keep myself up. So I had that in my left hand and my, uh, 375 H&H in my right hand and I kind of put the stick down and it touched us touched a uh, a dead alder branch and it made like a metallic sound like zinc and all of a sudden that brown bear's head pops up at nine yards Ooh. and so I put the crosshairs right between its eyes shot it it dropped it rolled halfway down the mountain and I was like <laughs> Holy cow. I never even saw it from 1,450 yards all the way to nine yards. And uh, before that, my craziest story in Alaska was also a brown bear story. My buddy and I 
who lives in Iowa, he had one. We had one. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you for a second here because because this story brings up. I definitely want to hear it here in a second, but this this brings up some some questions here. So it see whenever I watch films and and I went on a um, I went on a black bear hunt in Northwest Montana last spring in Grizzly Country, and uh, to me going into like that bottomland like thick nasty stuff in in and I shouldn't even say bottomland, but just like a like you're at elevation, but kind of like you know in between peaks or something like that just where it gets like really thick and nasty that 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 idea of that just creeped me out and when i see people in alaska going down into those alders it's like man it is so thick it there could be like three bears in there and you wouldn't even see it till you're right on top were you like was it pretty spooky going in there I, I really wasn't too worried about it. Um, I could see that whole mountainside pretty well from the other side. So I knew there weren't any other bears uh, visible. There weren't any leaves on the alders yet. And so you could see even into the, the branches pretty well. So I, I wasn't really worried about that. But um, there easily could have been another bear hiding in there, I guess, that I couldn't have seen because I sure couldn't see that one until i got right up on it but interestingly i don't know if it's good or not but i wasn't i wasn't too scared until his head popped up (laughs) but do you think that fear went away pretty fast do do you think when you hunt something like you almost lose a fear of it a little bit yeah for sure yeah So, so you think because you were on a brown bear hunt you just you just weren't like you didn't you didn't have that paranoia or that that uh that feeling of you know what I'm prey right now as well is more just yeah. like singular focus like I'm seeking these things out and when I find one it's dead. Yeah, I definitely think so because I mean I've been way more scared of bears when I'm out fishing and sure. not hunting or hunting something else other than bears, but I guess in my mind I was prepared for shooting one. So, yeah, there might be a just winning. Yeah, yeah, there that there might be like a good little bit of a like I don't know phobia uh, counseling advice there. You know, if you're really scared of bears or mountain lions or whatever, go hunt them for a while, and then you'll it'll like flip the switch in your brain, (laughs) and you can enjoy yourself in the mountains. But definitely that that that's a uh, that's a wild story. And then the other thing I got to ask you here. So the grizzly and the the brown bear designation. I don't even remember when the powers that be, the taxonomic powers that be, when they came they came and they were saying, you know what, these are these are one and the same. We're just gonna call them all grizzlies. Um doesn't matter if it's a giant eleven foot Kodiak coastal brown bear or if it's a uh, you know, a uh, Rocky Mountain grizzly uh, down in Idaho. They're the same thing. Right. What, I mean, how do, do people in Alaska buy that or does everybody there like pff, forget that? There's grizzlies and there's brown bears. It's, a, it's talked about a fair amount. And um, when people talk about it up here, 
they consider um, any there. I think there's actually like a mileage thing. Some people say if a grizzly bear species, so um, I can't remember. I think it's Ursus arctus. Yeah, is this yeah species, I think so. Yeah. The Latin name. Yep, pretty sure. And so they're all Ursus arctus. And if an Ursus arctus is one way of classifying them is if it's 200 miles inland from the coast, it's considered a grizzly bear. So if it's at 199, you know, it could be considered a brown bear. But a better way of classifying that I've heard people do up here is that if they have access to a salmon stream, um, they, they will consider them uh brown bears where that gets a little bit interesting is like the Yukon river goes over a thousand miles inland. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely interior Alaska, which would be considered a grizzly bear if it was off that river. So it does get kind of a little bit muddy when referring to them, but there's definitely like three different major classifications. Like there's a Rocky mountain grizzly bear, there's a Kodiak brown bear, which is strictly um, geographically isolated on Kodiak Island. And then there's brown bears, um, coastal brown bears. And then you get into interior Alaska where they're grizzlies again. Okay. So so when I said Kodiak coastal brown bear, that's, that's two different things. They are not one and the same. A Kodiak is different than a coastal brown bear. Yeah, and they, they get huge down there. Like some... They say that some winters, uh, like in Kodiak, some some brown bears won't even go into hibernation, and they just get significantly oh, bigger in in those areas. And um, what I what I like to tell people when I'm talking about them is, and I've not experienced this firsthand, but what I've heard is that grizzly bears are just a little bit more grumpy than a brown bear, and they have a harder time making a living, and they've don't have food uh, like fish to feed on all the time and the the brown bears are just a little bit more fat and happy and so they kind of <laughs> will they'll take more human presence and not worry about it yeah so as long as you respect them and have a healthy fear of them it's it's not too bad yeah yeah for sure yeah the 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 whole conversation around it is fascinating, not just to me, but to everyone. Uh, this is a good time to those of you listening in. Uh, if you want to hear a, a crazy grizzly story, go back to episode 113 and, uh, man, hear about the most brutal grizzly attack that uh, I've ever heard of. And I've heard of a lot of grizzly attack stories. And uh, listen to Jeremy tell his story there of how he survived against all odds. And uh, that grumpiness that uh, Eric talks about definitely uh, seems to fit the bill there. But, um, yeah, so I looked it up while you're talking. You're right. It is Ursus Arctus. And then uh, I I think it just used to be Ursus Horribilis for uh, uh, – for grizzlies but they've looks like it's uh, updated to ursus arctus horribilis so that goes okay. right in right in hand with what you were saying there kind of the, there is kind of like they give a little nod to the the differences there but uh <laughs> yeah just uh just 
just fascinating critters. Now, in you know, one hundred years from now, do you think that everyone will just because that's what's preached? Nope, we just call them all grizzlies. Um, do you think everyone up there will like? Yeah, we just call them all grizzlies. Or do you think they'll they'll keep their more specific? You know, what do they call this? The whole the lumpers and splitters of taxonomic uh, <laughs> distinction. Uh, the, everyone will still split them up into. Nope, that's a coastal brown bear. That's a Kodiak brown bear, and that's a uh, interior grizzly. Do you think that a hundred years from now, most people just refer to them as grizzlies, or will there always? Do you think there's enough like strong feelings there that it'll always remain a separate distinction? I think that for Alaskans, we'll probably always keep that distinction. But as far as living anywhere else in the country, a grizzly is a grizzly. Yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, that's yeah. a fair that's a fair assessment i think especially to people living in iowa right yeah <laughs> we're far we're far from the front lines of grizzly country but uh interestingly enough though i am while i'm at work the listeners know this well i listen to a lot of not just podcasts but books and i finally uh i finally have uh gotten on board with listening to the lewis and clark um story which my wife corrected me on the name of this so i gotta look at it real quick yeah i was right it's not of courage undaunted. It's undaunted courage. And uh, it's uh, it's Stephen Ambrose's work on, on you know, talking about the whole trip and everything. And uh, they, they talk about in there, which this is probably one of my favorite parts so far, how everyone was kind of arrogant about the, they called them the, the white bears or something like that. Um, I think there's a... Uh, there's a nickname for grizzlies like silver, silver tip or something like that. Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. people call them, you know. And uh, they knew that they were these bigger bears than the black bears that they had back east, and uh, you know some of the the native tribes that they'd been running into kind of warned them about. I'm like, no, you guys don't really don't want to mess with those things. But they, of course, had their you know latest and greatest and firepower at the time, and they're all these you know young single guys that are itching to hunt and to fight and and they're all you know oh we think we'll be able to have no problem with them we're all desperate to see him we came we came across a track today and private so-and-so was desperate to track down the bear but had no luck and then like three days later you know sergeant so-and-so saw our first white bear and got a shot off and uh i think by just by chance they killed like their first grizzly uh pretty easily and um that 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 like just fueled their cockiness you know what i mean like this arrogance and uh like it was a few or journal entries later they're like lewis i think it was like uh we we uh came across another grizzly today uh we put five balls through the bear's lungs and five more through its body in other places and it still didn't die <laughs> and, and, you know it's like we do not care to see another white bear for the rest of this journey you know it's like <laughs> it finally like they they realized yeah these these things are not to be messed with but yeah just a you know a critter that is fitting of alaska i think you know it's something giant something intimidating but but almost a little uh mystical and mysterious as well and i love 
love I love it when animals have controversy behind them a little bit. You know, I think I think it does them justice. It forces people to look at it more closely when uh, when you do have those little debates like what is it exactly, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty sweet. But we want, we got to hear about your other craziest story. What's the second craziest thing you've seen in Alaska? Well, the I lived in Alaska for probably I think three months. And it was another brown bear story. My buddy and I were out um, running on trails. And uh, I was like, you know, I, I should bring my 10 millimeter. You never know. And uh, we were like three minutes into the run. And this brown bear just comes running right at us at 40 yards. Oh. And so we had, it was running straight at us. It, it didn't appear to be aggressive or anything like that but it was still running right at us. And so I pulled my gun out. We got next to each other and I'm about ready to have to shoot the bear. It was probably 20 yards or less. And I'm pulling the first, you know, first part of the trigger on the Glock. And it just looked us square in the eye and turned a 90 and got out of there super fast. And, I have no idea why I did that. I'm like, is that really what it's going to be like living here? <laughs> and I've never had it happen since. Um, my, you know, the next bear counter was like seven years later, which is the, I was actually going after the bear. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the two crazy stories. Another bear story with the same guy, we were out fishing and it was, let's see, his black friday so almost december and i was like yeah, it's kind of nice not to lug around this 10 millimeter anymore and we got down to the river and there were two brown bears oh, in the man. water eating salmon and i'm like are you kidding me what are they doing still out right now <laughs> oh man yeah. yeah that's that's wild now do you just live knowing that you know if you live there for the let's say you live there another 50 years you're like that's it's very likely you're gonna have three to five more of those kind of stories yeah. to tell, you know. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to always have a gun every bear encounter I've had. I've only had one other brown bear encounter. Um, well, actually, several more, but I've always had a gun with me, and uh, they've never caused any problems. But I fear the day where um, where I don't have one and I, and I need one. I I was close last year. I was training my bird dog and we just started at the house and I didn't have a weapon on me because I thought, you know, I'm just going to play fetch with the dog around here. And then next thing you know, we're like, I don't know, almost a mile away from the house on some trails. And the dog I thought got birdie on a grouse, a spruce grouse. And it was in the woods, only 40 yards, according to the Garmin. And all of a sudden, I just hear roaring, not from my dog, but from something else. And I immediately knew it was a bear. And so I turned the uh, shock collar up to 18 and shocked him as hard as I could. And he went and came running at me. And I'm like, let's go, let's go. I didn't run, but I got out of there as fast as I could. I never saw the bear. I could see the dog because he's liver and white, and I could see patches of white in there, but I never saw the bear. And so 
I kind of think it was probably a sow with cubs because I don't know why it would have held its ground if um, mm. if it wasn't a sow with cubs. I think it would have just ran away. But I'm guessing that it had cubs right there, maybe sent them up the tree or something. And so I don't know if it was a brown bear or a black bear or what it was. But from from then on, I'm like, I do not want to be out here without a gun on my yeah, side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, every time I have like a close call in my life like that. Like at first it's like you feel shame and you feel like, man, how did I let my guard down like that? And what was I thinking? I wasn't being careful enough. But then after like those feelings subside a little bit and your adrenaline kind of comes back down, you're like, you know what though? That was good for me to go through that because that teaches me without having to go through the calamity that teaches me, okay, I need to have a gun on me. You That's know, right. I need to I need to be careful when I'm doing X, Y, and Z or whatever it yep. is. You know, it's like those close calls, they're scary. Um, they they remind you to thank God for keeping you safe when <laughs> when you think that everything's gonna be just fine and you realize yep. how out of control you are. And um, but also they serve as that important reminder. Um, that can save your life down the road or, you know, save you from injury or whatever else. So, yeah, that's, that is wild, man. That is so wild. Now, I got to get your opinion on this, too. You know, we're just, we're just going into the grizzly conversation first today, uh, <laughs> evidently, which is great. Everyone loves grizzlies. I have heard, so I did, uh, you're the first Alaskan I've had on here, but I have had a guy on here who every year for about, I think he goes for, 40 days he guides uh up in the i think in the brooks range um he guides for uh, brown bear hunts and okay. and also i think he does some sheep and uh maybe caribou as well uh i'm not sure though but anyways he goes up there guides every year i think he's from kentucky of all places and uh he, you know, we got into the conversation, you know, you're, you're definitely deep into the hunting community. So you have heard this conversation, I'm sure that we'll just go with, uh, we're, we're going to be lumpers for a second here. Grizzlies in Alaska are different than grizzlies in the lower 48 because grizzlies in Alaska are hunted. Like they, they have a different they have a different attitude towards humans as grizzlies in the lower 48 because they know that you guys can shoot at them and you guys uh, try to eat them. And, and uh, whereas down in the, in the uh, lower 48, they're off the list, man. And if you shoot one, you better have, uh, as my buddy Alex uh, says, you, if I'm going to shoot a grizzly, I better have claw marks on my face because the proving my innocence paperwork and court case and everything else that comes with it afterwards um, mm-hmm. in a self-defense case, you know, they, they basically have no reason to fear us. Ha- have yeah. you heard that? Do you, have you observed that? What do you think on that whole can of worms? I've definitely heard it, and <clears throat> I definitely agree with it. Um I've not experienced a ton of grizzly encounters in the lower 48. I've spent some quite a bit of time out West when I was in my twenties. But, um, one thing that comes to mind, Alaska versus lower 48 Rocky mm-hmm. mountain 
grizzlies is you don't hear stories about bears in Alaska stalking people who are calling moose while they're out moose hunting. But you hear mm. stories about um, grizzly bears stalking elk hunters while they're calling an elk during the rut. And you, you hear all sorts of problems when people go out elk hunting with grizzly bears oh, mauling yeah. them and you, they see them or you know they're at close range or whatever but so i definitely think that they're smart enough to know that they really are the top predator there sure. but in alaska they're they're still the top animal predator but um they they know over you know centuries that they are hunted well, that's my personal opinion so so in other words they don't in Alaska, they aren't seeking human interaction, whereas right. in the in the lower forty eight, I mean, the evidence is very clear that they do. You know, what was it last? Was it last? I think it was the summer before. I think it was the summer of twenty one. That lady was uh, doing like a long, uh, like biking trip. She was like in her fifties or sixties, and she went and camped this little tiny town in Montana. She she was literally popped her tent up next to the town post office and she had a grizzly drag her out of her tent and kill her you know yeah. in the night would something yeah. like that like what where a, a grizzly is you know really going out of their way i mean is that is that pretty much unheard of in alaska i've never heard of it i mean i i wouldn't put it out of the question for for a grizzly to do that up here but mm-hmm. i definitely it's, it's very similar to, um, like livestock down there too. It's like a mm. learned thing. They yeah. somehow learn that. That's a great point. Humans. Great point. They somehow learn that humans are a food source, just mm-hmm. like they learn that livestock are a food source there. And once they learn that they can't unlearn it and they teach it to their, their, uh, offspring. Mm-hmm. And they, that it's just the same thing. Genetics. They, either pass it down through genetics or pass it down by learning that it's a food source or yeah. not to be afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I never heard it put in that terms, but it's exactly right. That when they relocate problem grizzlies is a lot of times, or even problem wolves, you know, they start killing livestock. It, they, it's almost like, great. He figured it out. He figured out this is a, you know, because now we can't unteach this animal, so we got to move it a hundred miles away, you know, or whatever. And and even then, from talking uh, with and and listening to, you know, like wildlife services agents, they it's like that's they know that in their heart. They're like, yeah, I'm relocating this animal now, but I'm going to be shooting him in a in a within the next year probably because he's learned he's not yeah he, he he's learned the habit he's learned the like you said this is a food source he's going to be back that's a great right. point i've never never heard it put that way but we just assume you know we just assume that we're so different from a cow that that wouldn't happen to us but i i think that's exactly uh, yeah that's a, that's just a really good point one of the other things that came to mind was a lot of people here don't they don't do anything with their camping they just keep it right in their tent with them because the the bears have more fear of the human than the than 
them wanting the food. So mm. they, one time we did a caribou hunt up on the hall road and um, there's a lot of caribou that get killed in that area. And uh, one of the guys that was with us was like, Hey, make sure that you don't, you store the meat right with you. And we're like, really? You want, <laughs> you want to put the caribou meat, you want to sleep with the caribou meat? That sounds like a little crazy. And he's like, well, if you don't, the bears will come by and eat it. Like if you stash it a hundred yards out, yeah. then they'll eat it. And what's crazy <laughs> is the very next day we shot this caribou and we, we packed half of it back. And while we were gone from the carcass, a brown bear had come by or grizzly had come by and buried the carcass as well as all of our stuff and the game bag full of meat. Wow. It didn't eat any of the meat, but it, it stashed it. And I was like, wow, that is crazy. So were you guys like, nah, there ain't no way I'm, I'm bringing the, <laughs> I'm bringing this caribou in the tent. Sorry, man. No, we, we, so we put it, we had like, we had it probably 10 yards from the tent is where we had it. But oh, I'll tell you that, what, that was pretty spooky too. Going into the oh. stash, I had my, thankfully you could see hundreds of yards. Otherwise there's no way I would have done it, but we had to dig out the game bags out of his stash and hope that he didn't come back while we were digging oh, it out. <laughs> man. Stealing, stealing from a grizzly bear, stealing food from a grizzly bear doesn't sound like the smartest thing to do. Yeah, that is that is crazy man that oh i i wouldn't be able to do it there's just too much inside of me that's been trained like you get yourself away from that food at night that i, I mean i'm not <laughs> saying the guy's wrong by any means but it's just like this is not right to be putting this meat in my tent and when, yeah. when there's so many of these bears around that is that is crazy but wow what a what a wild place and uh you know sometimes i think people think man i'm sure i'm glad we don't have those in iowa I sure am glad that, or man, wouldn't it be good if we could just drive those out of here again? And, but it's an incomplete food chain. And, you know, when they, when they belong somewhere, they need to be there. And, uh, you know, as far as going back to the conversation, the reason this gets to be such a heated debate about the lower 48 grizz and the Alaskan grizz is uh, they need to be delisted in the lower 48, and that keeps getting blocked. And um, the populations have been recovered well past uh, uh, what the, uh, you know, the goals of when they were listed uh, were were supposed to get to. And um, Wyoming, I believe it was, they tried to have a season. They tried to issue one tag, right, for the whole state. One tag, I think it was. Uh, this was might have been back in like 2019 or 2020, something like that. And uh, that got, you know, eventually they got a judge to block it. And uh, then they, uh, they uh, got them uh, relisted. And then uh, now I think, was it Idaho or Montana? They were going to try and uh, give out. It was it was a lot more than one. It was like twenty five tags or something like that. I think I saw and that instantly got shot down. Uh, so they're not going to get delisted. They're not going to, you know, not no status is going to change there. These populations are going to continue to grow, and uh, you know, there's going to continue to be conflict there and risk. 
And, uh, you know, it's a good, good reminder. We're going to have uh, Charles Whitwam from Howell back on the show here soon. And uh, uh, maybe we'll talk about that with Charles a little bit on the, you know, legislation opportunities there or any lobbying that hunters need to be doing to uh, help propel that forward because it does change things. But, man, we could talk grizzlies all night. I love grizzlies. Um, I don't. I don't feel comfortable in grizzly country, and I don't think I ever will, but it, I definitely don't stay out of it either. Um, when we were in – so going back to my bear hunt last year, it was the last day that we had to hunt, and uh, we had one bear, but I still had to fill my tag. And uh, before we'd gone, we talked a bit about, hey, if you know we get down to the wire, we need to fill a tag – we could always get out a predator call and there's this cool uh like uh, hunting store outdoor store in uh the town near where the national forest was where we were hunting and so we drove into town and we're like we're gonna go to that shop see if they got any predator calls sure enough they had some and we were like hey uh it's talking to the guys that that worked there and this was like, you know, this isn't a big box. This is a local thing. Like, these guys hunt, you know. Like, hey, would this uh, call work on black bears? I'm like, yeah. And I, but they kind of, like, responded weird. And I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're, we got one tag left to fill. Uh, we really want to try and fill that. So I think we're going to go ahead and buy one. And they're like, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, you know, call one in. Like, how do you know it's going to be a or a uh, black bear that comes in? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, because <laughs> I thought where we were at, I thought this area, I knew we were very close to grizzly territory, but I thought if you're on this side of this river, it's like there there really aren't grizzlies. And I'm like, well, but we're in this spot where there's not really grizzlies, right? And the guy was like, uh, no, there's grizzlies. And I'm like, oh well, glad. Glad we asked you, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so it's just, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, that, uh, adds to the adventure of it though, too, you know, and, uh, um, I think when you're in the presence of grizzlies, the fear of other critters out there, like lions and, uh, black bears themselves, and I've never, my dad, one, one of the best things my dad ever did was he told me that he, he, since I was a kid, don't ever fear wolves, wolves, wolf attacks on humans are, are extremely rare. You know, it's like they, every Disney movie makes them look like the worst thing around, but in reality, they pretty much just want to steer clear of you. But, uh, but like mountain lions and black bears and stuff, I used to really be, you know, have some uh, paranoia. You know, I used to go up into the boundary waters and stuff, and I'd go into the uh, Absaroka uh, bear tooth range and backpack when I was a kid. And, you know, you'd be out in the woods, uh, uh, maybe digging your hole or walking to a fishing spot or, or uh, setting up camp or whatever or having the food bag, and I would just be – I'd be afraid of uh, black bears, you know, or I'd be afraid of mountain lions. But once you, like, start hunting them, and once you're, like, hunting in grizzly territory, it's like there's a way bigger, badder 
thing in these woods than a grizzly and a mountain lion, and I'm not really afraid of them at all. And uh, uh, I'm I'm much more afraid of having that grizzly encounter that you know you don't want to have. But I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting psychology that goes into how you view those things. Do you have any cool uh, wolf stories? Uh, have you seen Have you seen any packs or anything like that while you've been out glassing or anything? I have a couple of cool wolf stories. One's really short, so I'll tell that first. The The day we shot the caribou that the bear ended up uh, burying, a wolf came into the gunshot. Really? It was raining so hard, I couldn't get a range on it, and I had no idea how far away it was. Like, I had no idea how big wolves were. And um, I, I couldn't even see through my scope, and we ended up not being able to get a shot at it and that's part of why we like put so much of our gear next to the game bags that the bear eventually ended up burying was because of the wolf not the bear <laughs> <laughs> and then i was fishing one time i took a canoe down this river and there were moose standing in the river and i don't it was a bull but it wasn't legal um it was moose season but it was bleeding a little bit and I was like, Oh, that's weird. Like, I don't think somebody would have shot it because like, it's not of legal size. And they ran away. So we spent two hours fishing down river and then they back up and in the same exact spot, it didn't even dawn on me until we got right next to this object in the water. I'm like, what am I looking at in the water? And then all of a sudden I realized that it's the moose dead in the river with its head facing straight up out of the water, like partially submerged and hair was everywhere. So in those two hours, a pack of wolves had come by and killed that moose in the water and ran off right before we got back to it. So we continually continued paddling pretty quickly through that area, just in case, you know, it was a bear or, because we didn't yeah. know for sure if it was wolves. And then as we were driving away from the spot, a jet black wolf ran like almost halfway into the road and then darted back out into the, into the trees. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a pack of wolves. That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I would, I would love to see some wolves sometime in the, in the wild. And, and, uh, I think, I think we may have seen one on our drive out last year. Um, but, uh, it was, it happened so fast that, um, it it was, you know, we didn't even have a chance to get a camera up, you know, as while we were driving. Um, but uh, as while we were driving through a uh, national forest and, um, one kind of was running out in this meadow and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was or not. It was way bigger than a coyote. Uh, yeah. So maybe it could be like that other deal that hit the news here recently. Maybe it was one of those uh, released huskies that uh, somebody <laughs> cut loose out into the national forest out west. But So uh, Eric, though, hasn't always been in Alaska. Sounds How long have you been in Alaska now? Almost seven years. Almost seven years. That's awesome. And then are you living there uh, You know, year-round? Yeah, we live here year-round. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. But you're from Iowa originally, and uh, that's where we have all these crazy connections. 
um, uh, when when I think I think I sent you a friend request on uh, Facebook. I was like, it was one of those deals where Facebook, you know, suggested friends or whatever. And I'm like, you had this awesome profile picture where you had, you know, you had blaze orange on or whatever when you were with one of your bird dogs or something, something hunting. It was a cool picture. And I'm like, wow, we have 20 some mutual friends and I've never heard of this guy. I'm like, who are my mutual friends with him? And then I got friends from like three different contexts that are shared with this guy you know, usually it's all like, oh, he went to the same college that I went to, but he went, you know, this year and this year, and I went this year and this year. And so our time never overlapped, but our friends did. You know, usually it's that kind of thing, but that was not the case here. It was like I had a cousin that was friends with him. I had a uh, former pastor that was friends with him. I got, I, uh, you know, another uh, cousin or somebody or another good hunting buddy that was friends with him. And uh, I was like, how do we not know each other? We know all these same people. And so I sent him a friend request, and, and we started talking and been following along ever since. And um, it's just been really cool to see all the stuff you do. You spend a lot of time out hunting. Um, but grizzly hunting or brown bear hunting is not your not your main thing. Uh, in fact, I think if you go to uh, Alaska Bird Hunter, you'll find – uh, Eric. So he is an upland guy. That's his, that's, that's kind of your bread and butter, isn't it? Yep. That's my bread and butter. And has it always been that way? I mean, I was known to be a, you know, one of the top five upland destination States. Has it, has so, it been that way since you grew up or? Yeah, I started pheasant hunting. I, when I was old enough to carry a shotgun. So I was kind of a, a bigger kid, and so my dad let me carry one when I was eight years old. Wow. And um, I didn't shoot my first rooster until I was 12, but um, I got my first bird dog uh, right before I turned 15. Okay. So um, um, there used to be this channel called the Outdoor Life Network, and mm-hmm. uh, we had just gotten cable uh, when I was, I think around 13 or something like that, seventh grade ish. And there was a show on there called hunting with Hank and Hank was a Llewellyn setter bird dog. And, uh, Des young is, was the TV show host and it, and it played while I was at school. And so I would old fashioned tape record. Yeah, all there you go. Watch him when I got home from school. And so they hunted all over the country, uh, different, birds and it was my favorite show of all time and i started thinking oh now i need a side-by-side shotgun and now i need a bird dog (laughs) we i think i got my shotgun first my dad convinced me that since i was still learning and i was used to a single barreled gun that an over under would be a better double gun than a side-by-side and so i got my first um 20 gauge over on, on the way back from south dakota on a prairie dog hunt the summer before uh, we got our bird dog, and then I was playing football game in Gilbert, Iowa, when uh, afterwards my parents were like, hey, we got to get home and get to sleep early because we're going to go pick up our bird dog in the morning, and I was so excited. <laughs> and so That's awesome. We went and got her and um, kind of just bird hunted ever since. And the the pheasant numbers were pretty good in Iowa back then. And then around... Yeah, I was gonna I was going to ask you that. So 
you would have been hunting pheasants in the last days of when Iowa was great. The yeah, that was the pre-ethanol right. mandate uh, that yep. came down from George Bush, uh, George W. Bush, um, in 2006, 2007 timeframe. Yep. Was yeah. it night and day? Well, what's interesting is until recently, I never really put pointed a finger on what it was. Like I just knew that bird hunting was great until my junior year of high school, which mm. was 2007. Wow. And then it was like 2008. Where did all the birds go? Hmm. That's I, had a fascinating. Shop teacher, I had a shop teacher in high school that moved to Iowa from Michigan and he had two German short hairs and we hunted every single weekend of 2007. And then we went opening day in 2008 and I never went again for the rest of the year because wow. it was so terrible. And, uh, I think there was like specifically that year habitat went through, you know, went down. Well, it was kind of, it was kind of a two edged sword, you know, the, well, and plus, you know, there's going to be that lag when you lose all that habitat, because that's really when fence row to fence row farming started to kick up and all that, all those grass acres were just tilled, but there's going to be a lag there where it's not like, okay, you tilled all that. Now all the birds die immediately. There's going to be a lag, but also 2008, there was a ton of flooding in Iowa and, uh, and then spring flooding. And that's like exactly what you don't want because that, that ruins all the nests and, and brooding habitat, nesting habitat and brooding habitat, chills the eggs, kills, drowns the chicks. And so it's kind of. And then somewhere in there, there was a huge ice storm. Yeah. Yep. That was, I think that was in 2007. Yep. Yep. And then, uh, so when I was, I, I remember being really into bird hunting uh, later in high school and I found a book about ruffed grouse hunting. I was a member of a junior member of the rough grouse society. Oh, very cool. And, uh, I, they had like different books, um, and DVDs and stuff that you could buy on their website. So I got a book and a D or it wasn't a DVD. It actually was a VHS, but, um, I watched it and then read the book during our free reading time during civics class. <laughs> and uh, I really wanted to go grouse hunting. And since the bird numbers were so bad, I was kind of thinking about either going to Nebraska and sharp tail hunting out there. So I mm-hmm. bought like the, the topo map to do that. And they had a hunt planner there for hunting sharp tails and prairie chickens. So it was going to do that. And then, um, rough grouse, I was just thinking Northeast Iowa because I knew from reading the regulation book that you could hunt them up there, but I didn't know yeah. anything about it. But uh, I didn't end up even going to do that until uh, I think it was my sophomore year of college. I met a buddy who was from northern Minnesota. and uh, my So my dog and I went up there one weekend and got on rough grouse and woodcock. And so from every year after that, we did that. Um, oh, and then... Cool. I hunted pheasants here and there. We had some farms that still had some decent numbers, mm-hmm. even when it was bad. And then um, moved to northern Iowa in spring of 2014. Okay. And I hunted deer pretty hard before that, too, even though I bird hunted. But I, I was big into bow hunting, mm-hmm. well, all, all types of deer hunting. So I kind of focused on that while the bird numbers were down. Did a little bit of duck hunting. 
and then when we moved up to northern Iowa, there weren't very many deer at all. And so we really got back into bird hunting again, primarily ducks and geese, and then would uh, pheasant hunt here and there. But I didn't have my dog up there. So then when we moved to Alaska, um, it was going to be something new. We we moved there in um, really early 2017, January of 2017. And so I pretty much gave up bird hunting. The first animal that I shot in Alaska was a spruce grouse. And the second species I shot was a, a ptarmigan. So I really hmm. wanted to shoot both yeah. of those species. But I did it the good old Alaskan way. I shot them both with a rifle. <laughs> and, um, everyone had told me that's how you have to do it. And so I'm like, okay, I'll embrace it. And I was like, man, this is no fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, several years had gone by i dabbled in duck hunting a little bit but i mainly got into fishing like when i lived in iowa i was definitely a hunter and a fisherman but i was mm-hmm. primarily a hunter and yeah. i fished wasn't hunting season but when i moved to alaska it kind of switched um the fishing is so good that i was primarily a fisherman and hunted a little bit and throughout the different big game hunts i did for about five years almost four or five years i would see ptarmigan on like every single big game hunt i'd go on and i'm like mm-hmm. eventually it's like these birds don't strike me as dumb like people talk about yep. and they look like it would be a really good wing shooting opportunity and so the last draw was i did a fly out caribou hunt with one of my buddies he drew the tag and i went with him and we saw i remember specifically out of one alder patch 120 some ptarmigan flew out one at a time out to this open tundra and started feeding and i was like man i gotta figure out how to hunt these things when i get back home and so i found the like a similar valley on onyx and i was like i think there should be some there but it was on the road system i didn't have to fly out to the spot it would be a pretty good hike in but i knew i could get there And then I went online to see if I could find like any of those shows of hunting with Hank because I remember that they hunted ptarmigan somewhere and uh, I didn't know where and I didn't know what episode it was, but I did enough digging. I found that they sold the DVDs on Amazon and I found ptarmigan hunting in Alaska and it, it happened to be season one, episode one. And this, it was filmed in 1995, I believe, and released in 1997, but I had just been on that fly out hunt and, uh, we went with Talon air and Alan Helfer was our pilot. And, um, I plug in the DVD when it comes in and there they are flying to the exact same lake that we just caribou hunted. Wow. Alan Air and Alan Helfer as their pilot. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And so um, I, they had interviewed Bob Letta with All Alaska Outdoors. It was a lodge that they had just started in Soldotna on Longmere Lake. And one of the things he wanted to do is do guided ptarmigan hunts. And so I had shot my first ptarmigan with a shotgun that week. And so I knew I was... I had become Facebook friends with Bob, but he wouldn't have known who I was. True. And so I, I sent him pictures of 
my ptarmigan and he was like hey i'd use you and your bird dog sometime we do these ptarmigan hunts and i was like oh man that would be so cool but i don't have a dog yeah and uh we ended up booking uh another flyout trip the next year i want i really wanted to do a backcountry bear hunt and then take um shotguns a ptarmigan hunt after we shot our bears and so we booked it with talon air again and i was talking with alan on the way home and he's like did you get some ptarmigan because he saw that we had shotguns i'm like yeah and he's like hey do you know bob with all alaska outdoors and i'm like yeah i've talked to him a little bit and he's like well you should talk to him again and so long story short uh bob gave me a call and he's like hey we're looking for a guy to do some ptarmigan guiding for us and so if you're interested we need we we'd like you to help us out and you need a dog like yesterday and so i ended up getting a bird dog that fall um actually while we were we were down in iowa for christmas of that year we went and got my bird dog maverick and um, he was already five months old, so he was able to start hunting with us as soon as we got back to Alaska in January. Mm-hmm. And then last fall, September 1st, I started doing guided ptarmigan hunts with all Alaska. We do we do fly-in ptarmigan hunts. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's yeah. cool how, how that all just lines up like that. And, and uh, I like to say it all the time, hunting brings people together. You know, that's why we're having this conversation. That's why... That's why uh, you ended up getting to kind of, you know, live out a dream that you didn't even know you had yep, uh, exactly. when when you were, you know, getting invited to do some of that guiding and stuff. So, yeah, that's incredible, man. Now, are ptarmigan really the only upland bird species to chase up there? Are there like chucker or if you go like way south in Alaska, you know, river bottom, will, will you find like some pheasants that have been released, you know, eons ago that are still hanging around. I mean, what are, what are the other upland options if there are any? So we actually in Alaska, we have a lot of different options. And so, um, on the Kenai Peninsula, which is where I'm at, we have three species of ptarmigan, willow ptarmigan, rock ptarmigan, and white-tailed ptarmigan. Hmm. And, they all they can live really near each other in the mountains, but they all live primarily above tree line. Okay. Uh, and then we have spruce grouse here as well. That's right. Yeah, you you mentioned Our, spruce grouse. The, and then um, southeast Alaska, which would be like the Juneau, Ketchikan area, that's not connected mm-hmm. inland of um, of Alaska, so we can't get there by road. Uh, there's sooty grouse there, which is a a sub what's well, actually a totally different species of blue grouse related to the dusky grouse um you may have heard people call them hooters because in the spring they hoot to try to attract mate and we oh, actually okay. have a spring season on them when they're hooting because they're really hard to hunt other times of the year so they go up tall in one of those spruce trees and start hooting and then people pick them off with a 22 and then in interior Alaska, we have, um, can find all three species of ptarmigan up there, but mainly willow and rock ptarmigan up there. And then there's uh, spruce grouse, ruffed grouse, and sharp-tailed grouse. All, it's all native populations up there, and probably one of the only expanding ranges of 
uh, sharp tail in the country. Like the, the, the range keeps expanding every year. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, a lot more, a lot more than, like you said, than people would expect, you know, a lot of options there. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's cool, you know, because I got to think there's very few people that go to Alaska to bird hunt. You know, you can hunt moose, you can hunt caribou, you can hunt brown bears, you can hunt black bears, you can hunt, uh, I think you can hunt, yeah, yeah, you can hunt elk in Alaska as well. And you can, and of course, uh, there's some deer hunting up there as well. You know, it's just not what you would expect someone to be looking for in Alaska, but it's cool to see that it's still, it's still available and still, still a uh, real, you know, viable thing to chase after up there. So, that, yeah, that's that's really cool. Now, do you still, like, on that topic, are you a moose hunter, a elk hunter, a deer hunter, along with all of that? Or does upland hunting pretty much take your time all fall and then you hunt bears in the spring because you can't be hunting birds in the spring? Is that is that kind of how your schedule ends up working out? That's how it seems like it's going to work out um, from here on forward. We've done quite a bit of caribou hunting uh, up until now i've done a couple moose hunts and was successful on one of them um and then three or four different caribou hunts and some black bear hunts in the fall but um i i probably in the future just because we ptarmigan hunt all through september which is um when all of the big game hunting seasons are going on um mm-hmm. we have some like uh, black-tailed deer hunts like on Kodiak and Prince William Sound that are um, open like in November. So I might do some of those in the future, but primarily on hunting now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, do you think you'll, like, will you uh, at some point while you're living up there, would you uh, give up? upland time to like maybe go fill a uh uh bison tag or maybe go uh, hunt doll sheep if you drew doll sheep or something like that would you drop everything yet to still like chase some of those really prized tags if you were to draw or do you not even apply for stuff like that i might eventually at this point i'm not even applying for them uh we I'm doing my first summer of fishing guiding with the lodge this year too. And so, um, it kind of carries over from June all the way through August. And then we start doing ptarmigan hunts at the end of August, all the way through September. And so kind of burns up a lot of that big game time. So mm-hmm. unless something changes there, probably just going to be st- sticking to birds. Yeah, well, no, that's that's really cool, and it's cool to find a little niche like that that Definitely. you know not a lot of other people are are uh, looking at. You know, is uh how how are the ptarmigan for eating? Are they they pretty uh pretty good eating? Yeah, they're great eating. It's uh it's not exactly what you would think when you shoot one. You shoot you know in the winter you shoot this really white bird, and then you go to cut open the into the meat and it's really dark red almost okay yeah color and uh you just have to cook it like a steak you can't really cook it like chicken Hmm. and so um it's really good if you if if, as long as you don't overcook um sure it's more like 
cake though and you know if they've been eating blueberries it maybe kind of has a little bit of a blueberry taste to it <laughs> that's cool uh, but it's it's really good eating it's unique it's, it's very similar if you've ever had sharp tail grouse or prairie chicken it's very similar yep, to that yep i had a uh, what do they call them prairie grouse or yeah it might just be sharp tails they're from uh um nebraska like you were talking about how you wanted yep. to go hunt those i had a, I have a friend who goes out there every year and he brought me back some and and uh yeah it's like it's like eating liver you know it's just like yep. really minerally really uh really dark meat um but that's interesting though that you said cook it like a steak because uh, i think i think um it would be more it would have been more enjoyable had i done that instead of trying to yeah. do like what you said cook it like a cook it like it's a piece of chicken you know that's yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a that's a that's a good little tip there the key that i've found too is you really need to cut it into thin strips you don't want to try to cook the whole mm. breast if you try to cook the whole breast inevitably just because of the shape of it the oval shape you'll overcook the outside and the middle will be raw and so it's better to cut it up into thin strips sear each side real quick make sure that it's still medium rare and you're good to go hmm. that's a good little tip there well man i gotta get up to alaska at some point and uh yep. uh i think for me it would the the upland part would be like the the uh, secondary thing if i go up there like <laughs> i gotta get a caribou or i gotta get a moose or something like that but but uh man the the bird hunting looks awesome and uh you know i'd love to try some some ptarmigan or try some some grouse you know it just it does look delicious when i see people eating it or you know show a picture of the prepared meal or whatever it looks looks really good but and i and i like to do bird hunting down here in iowa you know i got a couple of bird dogs and and uh they're definitely a deer hunter's bird dogs though you know like like uh i i used to work a lot with my male when he was young and uh so like he handles well and and he's a good hunter he's a Brittany, so he's you know he's got that natural instinct he's got a good nose for it and he points and all that but a lot of that is him just like being wired that way and then my female is a half Brittany, half poodle and oh, wow. uh and she was a, yeah she's a rescue and uh turns out she's a great hunter like she's just she retrieves my male won't retrieve he'll mark a bird all day and he'll sit right there with it but he's not bringing it to you and he won't you know it's not a race like he's not gobbling it up or anything but he just like retrieval just not in him and whereas uh the half britney half poodle she'll bring it back to you which is really fun you know good combo yep yep they're a, they're a fun group to walk behind so they'd probably love to go on a trip up to alaska but i don't, I don't think they'll probably be allowed so <laughs> <laughs> but no that's that's really cool we really appreciate you coming on the show though eric um it's fun hearing a unique a unique story like yours and uh if people are listening in and they want to check it out they want to see about the grizzly hunting they want to see about all the fishing they want to see about uh the upland hunting uh, you can follow at Alaska uh, Bird Hunter, right? Is your handle on Instagram Alaska, or is it Alaskan? Alaska Bird Hunter. Alaska Bird Hunter. Okay, so check that out, and I'll put a I'll put a little link in the show notes on this episode, so you can find that. And then you also have another page as well, right? A fly fishing page. Yeah, it's called AK Trout Spay. AK Trout. What was the last part? Spay. 
Spay. Okay. And I will put that I will put that in the uh um show notes as well so you can follow along there. But uh if you're like me, you'll you'll look him up and you'll find out like half your uh the people that you've known since you were born know him already and, and all that. But no, it's it's really good talking with you, Eric. It's great getting to know you. Um we were hoping that Alex would be able to join on this one, but he has a family thing going on. But don't forget about him. We'll have him on an episode here very soon. It's been too long since Alex has co-hosted with me. Uh, but check him out at eastwesthunts.com. You can get going on your own dream hunt plans. Alex has been to Alaska, and he'll send you there too. And uh, he could probably talk with uh, um Eric, if uh, you wanted him to and get you set up on a guided uh, ptarmigan hunt, Alex talks to guides all of the time to get people set up. And uh, you could do all that, get all the details lined up through Alex. So you go to eastwesthunts.com. And uh, when you go, make sure you tell him you sent that I sent you there. And uh, you can get yourself 10% off by using the promo code FIRSTGEN10 when you're checking out. And that goes for gear rentals. That goes for hunt planning. That goes for tag applications. All of that. Uh, we'll use that promo code FIRSTGEN10. You'll save yourself 10% off of it. So, again, go to easttowesthunts.com for that. And uh, most importantly, remember that this show is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is a great partner. Um, they, they do great work. It's just plain and simple. They believe in what they're doing and, uh, they really, in my opinion, have the best product out there, uh, with their mapping service, but also the deer behavior prediction is as good as it gets. They're going to expand West with that. That's coming soon. We need to get Bill on for a uh, pick and bones episode to talk about some of those updates that are coming, but you can find links to Spartan Forge and you can get it for yourself. Uh, if you go to my link tree on Instagram, or you can look at the link, uh, uh, in these show notes as well and click on that. And that will take you right there and you can, uh, go ahead and do a free download of Spartan Forge. That's right. You get all the mapping, you get the property owner information even for free. But if you want more layers, you want more weather data, you want the deer behavior prediction, well, you're going to have to subscribe to those. Um, and uh, actually, you might you might still, even with the free version, get all the map layers. I don't know. I, I, I need to ask Bill on that. But uh, definitely the other stuff, you got to subscribe to it. But here's the good thing. You don't have to, like, subscribe now and not be able to use it until, you know, October. Um, you can wait till October if you if you want to pinch some pennies and uh, just subscribe then. Um, but if you're li- like me, you subscribe year-round because you believe in the product so much and you use it so much year-round. So check out Spartan Forge, get the free download, then subscribe to those services that you need. And remember, they are the ones that present this podcast. So if you like listening, you can thank them. Um, other than that, people... Man, what a great episode. I, I, grizzlies are just so interesting. That was that I love the grizzly conversation. Um, people got to go on and you got to check out Eric's Instagram so you can see the picture. The claws are just outrageous. And to think that those things were clicking together only nine yards away uh, from, from uh, Eric is uh, pretty... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, pretty harrowing. Makes you makes you a little nervous to even think about Eric being that close to uh, such a deadly animal. But you can see all those pictures there, so make sure you follow along with him. Make sure if you have not yet 
reviewed this podcast, leave a five-star review. Please, please, please do that. Also, a written review is fantastic as well. What that does is that cycles the podcast into Apple's recommendations or Spotify's recommended shows for uh, listeners. Helps get this show out to new audiences and hopefully help more people get into hunting uh, because that's the most important part of all this. But even better than the reviews and everything else, reach out to me. I love hearing from you. Um, that's really the best part of the show. Love hearing from the listeners, uh, getting to see your perspective, your your adventures, everything that you've gone through, maybe even answering some questions as well. Love it all. Hit me up if you also have a topic you want me to cover. Love to do that too. Definitely have had that uh, from listeners in the past, and we've tried to address that as well. So make sure you reach out if you haven't yet. Um, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, we got a pick and bones coming up soon. We got more uh, great episodes coming up. We're going to talk to Charles from Howell. Stay tuned in. But until next time, everyone, take care and take someone home.